If you find yourself lucky enough to join the team at Investor Group Services, you'll immediately discover that IGS is not your typical cookie-cutter strategy consulting firm. At IGS, you will regularly interact with senior-level management and clients and take ownership of client relationships early on in your tenure. In addition, top performers can increase their earnings through the firm's uncapped performance-based compensation model and be put on the fast track to a management role. Sound too good to be true? You can learn about open roles and apply today by clicking the link in the show notes or visiting igsboston.com. Hi, my name's Edward, and I'm going to be pursuing a career in consulting upon graduation. As an intern for Management Consulted, I would love it if you were able to fill out a quick survey linked in the show note description. This is going to help Strategy Simplified improve and become far more tailored to you, the individual, looking for a career in consulting. Thank you. On this amazing episode of Strategy Simplified, Drashti focused on some incredible insights around breaking into consulting in a competitive environment. In fact, she even joked that it was her first time bossing around the CEO of a company. And I joked back that it wouldn't be her last if she went into consulting. You'll have a great time listening to strategy sprint insights, focus on the resume and cover letter, networking, and the state of the consulting industry. Thanks again for Drashti for taking over the podcast tonight. We hope that you enjoy. I'm Jenny Ray LaRue, the Managing Director of Management Consulted, and today we have a real treat, a podcast mic takeover. And I'm here with Drashti. She's going to share some of her background, some of her crazy life experiences, and then she's going to become the boss, asking me a bunch of questions. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Drashti, welcome. Thank you so much, Jenny. Thank you for having me here. So before you get to take over the mic, you have to answer a couple of key threshold questions. And so we want everybody to get to know you a little bit, to get to know who you are, where the context is of the questions that you'll ask. And so the first one is, I think the hardest one to answer, but it's just from your life. Tell us a little bit about your background and what got you to where you are today. Absolutely. So I recently graduated with Masters in Information Systems from Kelly School of Business at Indiana. Uh, and before that, I did my undergraduate in computer engineering back from home in Mumbai. Uh, so during, so I did not have a specific work experience. So I've only had these academic experience. So between these, uh, let's say six years, I've had a couple of internships ranging from healthcare industry to the marketing firms. Uh, so during these industries, I realized that one thing that I loved the most was talking to people was not just sitting in the back end and coding on Python every day, but instead talking to people, asking the stakeholders what they want and how we can help them get it. And that is the reason that I realized that my next career step should be in a consulting firm where I can actually bring value to the company. And that's where I'm here today having a conversation with you to uh, tackle the current economy and the different trends right now for a booming consultant. Love it. Well, where are you in your journey into consulting? You kind of mentioned why you would want to do it, but just walk us through which part of the process you're in now. So right now I'm in the job search process. So since I graduated in December, I am still looking for opportunities. And uh, somewhere I think, you know, that uh, there might be something that I'm doing in my strategy that I can, you know, get some advice from, from someone like you, someone who has been in this industry for a long time. Uh, so let's say I'm someone who wants to go then, but have not really reached there. 
I love it. Well, I hope that we can get clear on some of the issues. And I'm so proud of you for opening yourself up and being vulnerable about your journey today. So thanks again for joining us. Before we get started, and before I let you take the mic, you have to answer two fun questions. The first one is, what is one place on your travel bucket list? I think Finland would be my top uh, travel place. Ooh, I love this. Okay, explain why. Okay, so um, my Instagram feed is, uh, is filled with northern lights and midnight sun. And you, I have never seen that. It's just so fascinating that something like this can even happen. And I think Finland is the best place for that. And uh, I've just heard the people in Finland are just the sweetest people you can meet in the entire world. They are not mean. They are just very accommodating. Uh, so I think Finland would be my top. Now, some people would say the same thing about people in Indiana. I don't know if that's true, but there are a lot of really nice people there as well. That's that's actually true. It was such a reverse cultural shock in India when you meet people. They're just up to the point that, okay, do this, that's it. But in India, they actually try to make the conversation with you. I love that. That's (laughs) awesome. Well, the last question is, tell us a little bit about the most interesting food you've ever eaten. Where, why? Just give us the background of the story. Okay, so uh, if you've ever been to India, uh, the street food is a fad. Then, like, you will eat less in your own home, but you'll just go out. So there are vendors who have their stalls set up on the roads, like everywhere, and then they sell different kinds of street food. So there's one uh, Indian food that's called slanky. That's kind of like a wrap, but in Indian style. So you have, uh, you know, what paneer is? Sure. Yeah. So yeah. So you have paneer, and then you have a bit of you know those um, Chinese spices, and then uh, those. The regular spices, but then you have cheese, paneer, and everything. And it's it's just a treat to have that food. And I've tried to recreate it here a number of times, but I've just failed. Uh, but it's just, if you ever go to India, you should try Franky. And don't make it at home. Don't go to a restaurant to try it. Just on the street. A little unhygienic, but it's the best food you'll ever have. <laughs> <laughs> I've been to India once, but it has been uh, not even, I think about 17 or 18 years. So it's been a long time. I'm sure everything has changed. And is, can you get it everywhere in India or do you have to go to Mumbai to get it? Um, everywhere, everywhere. It's one food that you get every on all the streets in India. Amazing. Okay. Well, I'm putting it on my list. It's a place that I'd love to take my kids. So I'd I'd really love to do that. Okay. Well, now the mic is yours. It's time for me to turn it over to you. And I'm looking forward to answering the questions that you've got for me. Dive in whenever you're ready. Thank you so much. So I just didn't get to it. So the first question that I have is, can you just give me a brief overview of what the current state of the consulting industry looks like? Yeah, we're in such an interesting moment. I've been in consulting since 2005, both as a consultant with Bain, as an independent consultant, and working with management consulted with people inside the consulting industry. We have a real bird's eye view into what's happening now because we're not just sitting with one firm. We're looking across all different firms in the U.S. and in other geographies around the world. And what we're seeing is a slowdown in consulting around hiring, but it's not based right now on a slowdown in actual work. It's just based on a fear of the slowdown. And so consulting firms are not booking lower revenues. They're not, people are not working less, but they're just concerned that with the reverberations of issues like the 
failure of Silicon Valley Bank, um, some instability in the financial system, and of course, rising interest rates. But some things like deal activity around M&A or private equity um, will have to slow down as powder begins to run dry in some of these firms. And so um, it's an anticipation of an issue and the firms are therefore kind of breaking their cycles up into two more distinct cycles. Usually they have a large fall hiring cycle where they hire the majority of people and then they trickle through um, in March or April of the following year if they have additional demand for their services. Um, This year we're seeing almost like a 40% hiring lag that's being held back to next year. And so what this means is that the fall is more competitive. Like this fall will be in, in the time that I've been working, probably one of the top three most competitive years. 2009 was very competitive because there were a lot of people that were um, you know, really contracting their spend on consulting services. The spring of COVID and the fall of COVID, when nobody really knew what was going to happen, there was a pretty serious contraction on the hiring side. And then this will be, I expect, the third one. Um, but it's interesting, again, because it it's not because things have really materialized in the market. It's just because everybody's everybody's looking at a you know 12 to 13 year bull market cycle and saying like this has to end sometime, right? And so they're like we're almost all trained to just expect that things go up and things go down and we're kind of moving into a downturn. So that's what we're seeing. Um, we're seeing that contraction happen the slowest in the United States, but it's still kind of happening everywhere. The United States is the biggest market, the slowest to turn. Um, but but we're seeing it kind of across the globe. So how how would you recommend someone like me to navigate this consulting recruitment? Yeah, well, I think one of the most important things to know is that when firms are hiring less, it's they're still hiring. The only time, actually, in the you know more than twenty years that I've been doing this, that we've seen a stop in hiring was one month during COVID. It was the month of April, 2020. And so firms don't stop hiring. They simply reduce their hiring numbers. And why? Right? Because you, you have to go in with the right mindset, right? If you start with no one's hiring and they won't want me and this is going to be difficult, then it's really difficult to win in a competitive market. But if you know they're hiring, they're looking for the best of the best, and we're competing all of a sudden with different people because tech used to hire a huge number of people, they're really pulling back. The tech is pulled way, way back. And so you've got different talent all of a sudden in the pool that you're competing with. Um, But the firms are looking for the same things. So all, all of a sudden, you know, they are hiring. You have to start there, right? I'm not applying with impossibility. They're hiring... Um, They're looking for people who are incredibly serious and focused about the job because this isn't the time to be whimsical about like, maybe I'll try consulting tomorrow, right? You have to be serious and focused on it. Um, And number three, they're looking for people who are likely to be good hires for the long run. So they're looking less for people who are more likely to try consulting on and more people that are, are committed to it. And so you're seeing a, a little bit of a difference in the way that the firms think about their hiring and the way that they're welcoming it. And so um, the prep process remains the same. You have to try to be the best person in the room in every single prep process because that, you know, you don't, you don't want to try to just be over the line. You want to be at the top of the bunch. Um, But, but the mindset, I think is what really has changed. And a lot of people we're seeing get 
um, they're frustrating themselves or disqualifying themselves because they feel like it's impossible. And I just want to say to all of you that are out there, it's not impossible. The firms are still hiring. They still want you. They're still making long-term investments in people and in the decisions to bring you on. And they would really, really love to have the best of the best. The only question is, how do you get there? Yeah. You know, actually, I like that point because uh, the thing is, they have not stopped. I know they have just, you know, reduced hiring, but I think the experience plays a bigger role over there that if you have some experience to show on your resume that, okay, you've been a team player for like two or three years, then they they take that uh, shot at you. So I do not have that experience, like I said, during my introduction. So how do you overcome that lack of consulting experience when you talk or network with people or even when applying for different opportunities? Yeah. Well, one thing that they're, the reason that they care about experience, I just want to be clear about this. It's not because you have expertise. Uh, a lot there's an often confusion and therefore people present their experience as expertise and it comes across oddly to the firms um, because if you worked in healthcare for two years you didn't work with the CEO of the healthcare firm you didn't answer the kinds of strategic questions you're going to answer in a healthcare practice you weren't in a consulting project and so they look at you a little funny like okay, I think you're trying to tell me that you have something that you don't. What you do have, if you have experience in healthcare, is that you have a knowledge and a passion about healthcare. You have an interest in it. And what, what they know in consulting is that skill takes you so far, but interest and passion are what really make the differential. And so you have to really portray that your experience has confirmed for you that you want high-impact analytical project-oriented work, not that you're bringing in healthcare expertise, right? And so I think we, we, we talk to medical doctors, for example, or we talk to people that have the, these real areas of expertise, and they often will make this mistake when they're trying to move into consulting because they're thinking of it as an expertise play. It's not. That's the 1980s version of consulting. Today, they're going to teach you the tools. They're going to teach you the systems. What they want is a demonstrated interest and the fundamental underlying analytical skills, some of which they'll test in the interview for the case, some of which they'll test in the fit interview asking about your experience. Okay, yeah, that, that kind of makes sense. So I just sometimes confuse that, okay, I have healthcare expertise, but I know I don't. I know I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I just have that. You, it, yeah, what they would say is that if you, you know, were the CEO of a healthcare firm for 10 plus years, that counts. That, and anybody <laughs> else, you just, you just have a healthcare exposure. Right. And the, there's a huge difference between exposure and expertise. And so so don't try to overplay it. Don't feel like you have to. That is just to say that's not your differentiating factor. The fact that you did it, the fact that you liked it and that you want to do it again is the differentiating factor. And that is is a real big difference to convey inside your interviews. We'll be right back after this quick break. Looking for a strategy consulting role where you create meaningful impact? without giving up your weekends? Wow, that sounds pretty good to me. Well, then Stacks might be the perfect fit for you. The firm enjoys better work-life balance than industry benchmarks for many reasons. First, Stacks doesn't employ the typical Monday through Thursday travel model. It does not require employees to live at the client site. Second, the firm focuses on the most important things that matter to solving the client's problem, leading to more focused engagements. Third, global research and analysis teams provide overnight support so you can focus on thought leadership instead of formatting slides. This does not mean that you won't work hard, because you certainly will. 
but you can rest assured you'll experience a greater attention to work-life balance at Stacks compared to most other consultancies. The firm is hiring across its three U.S. offices. See current openings and apply at Stacks.com, that's S-T-A-X.com, or click the link in this episode's show notes. Join the next strategy sprint to build consulting skills, add killer experience to your resume, and prepare for life on the job. Oh, and by the way, it looks great on your resume. Our team will even help you add the experience to your CV. Plus, you'll be issued a certificate of completion at the end of the program. So apply today. Click the link in this episode's show notes to fill out the two-minute application. There are limited spots remaining, so don't miss out. Talking about the differentiating factors, so what are the different areas, uh, you know, just one or two that uh, I should focus on that will make me stand out when I'm going through the recruiting process? Yeah, well, you, you know, a lot of people, we get their resumes and we just cry, right? Because we, <laughs> because we say you have such remarkable experience and what you tried to do was just cram all of it onto your page. Um, like I've already kind of mentioned, the firms aren't looking for a bounty of expertise. They're looking for demonstrations of your ability to succeed and to maintain interest. And, and so they are looking actually for a balance on your resume. This is the first thing on the resume side of um, academic work, of work experience, and of leadership experience. And one question that you asked earlier, I can just tie that in here. Uh, at Management Consulted, we have a project based um, option called Strategy Sprint, which is in May. And our uh, our option for Strategy Sprint is to do a one-week consulting project led by a McKinsey Boehner BCG project leader. Um, they're fantastic work experiences, and you can put it into either the experience or the leadership section on your resume. Um, so one of the first things that we see is just people that are imbalanced. They have like 50 work experiences and no leadership, or they have all leadership and not a lot of work experience. And the firms are really just looking for a balance and two plus experiences in each one of those areas. So um, for some people, it's just a retelling of the same story, right? It's not, it's not you have to do anything differently. Once you have your resume and your cover letter organized and uh, they're telling a compelling story from the eyes of the reader, uh, which is what we help you do, then the second piece is networking. And networking is really, really underrated. A lot of people focus on the impossibility of the case interview, but I would just like to propose that in a competitive hiring environment, the firm will take and wait the, um, uh, the referrals of their current staff even more highly than they would in a less competitive environment. Um, if, if they're just kind of like, hey, we need bodies to staff these projects. We have work. Like, okay, you're breathing. Great, we'll take you. It's really different than, hey, we only need five people this year. How are we going to find them? Well, the number one answer is going to be they probably already know or have talked to the people who are in our firm and those people make recommendations. So, um, uh, you know, a, a lot of people I'll ask in my sessions, actually, I'll say, how many times do you think at Bain people wrote me like cold networking emails? And, and a common answer that I get is 100 times a year, right? And, um, and, and some people will say 200, 500. And, and the answer is 10 to 12. Like it was very very limited. And I talked to every single one of those people who reached out. So um, the second misconception, aside from you have a great story, you're just not telling it on the resume, is that when you're networking, it's possible that you are not, 
you know, sending an effective email or LinkedIn message, asking for the right thing at the right time. You're trying to prolong a relationship that really actually is meant to be transactional, beneficially transactional though. You get a referral and they get compensated if you get the job. Um, and, and so a lot of people just overthink, overwork and like under execute on the networking side of the, of the equation. And therefore they end up in these, like the spiral of 15 long relationships that aren't going anywhere and, and they don't actually get the referrals that they're looking for for the interview. So, um, so a lot of people are surprised when I just say, you know, I think that the networking process can be simpler and more effective. And if you're not finding it to be effective, it's probably not you. If you have general qualifications and experience and passion, it's probably your method, right? It's not, it's not you as a person. It's your method that you're using. Yeah, that's right. So I have also, um, I have done this mistake of prolonging a, a networking relationship that, you know, that should have just been transactional up to one point. Uh, so, you know, I would just like some more insights into that. that how, is there a networking strategy that uh, let's say you've used or you recommend people using want to get into the consulting industry that will maximize my efforts during, you know, during this economical times? Yeah, we, we actually have a very clear structure for this. Uh, it's it, basically you'll send two, uh, we, we call it the two, two and two strategy, right? You'll send two emails to two people in two different firms at the same time. And um, so you send the two, um, the, the two emails um, to the, again, to the two different people. Um, the, the two emails is a two email series, by the way, right? So, so just thinking about it, right? Let's say, it, I mean, give me an example of a firm that you'd want to work for. That's a McKinsey. Okay, great. So um, if you if you wanted to work there, then you would just say, awesome. Then the, the next thing that I want to do is I want to find two people that are at the firm. Um, I'm going to find their emails. Um, and, and ideally, you're actually reaching out to them first on email. And then you send a ping on LinkedIn if they don't respond to your email. Right? Um, so your email is pretty short. The email should basically just say, one line about you, a couple of fun facts, one from your leadership, one from your academics, one from your work experience, um, one sentence each. And then would you be available to talk at 2.15 PM on Friday? I recommend that when you're asking people for time, you ask them for Fridays in consulting. Friday is like the down day, right? You don't ever have client meetings on Friday afternoon. You'll have them on Thursday afternoon. And so Friday afternoons are often a really good time to connect for recruiting. Propose specific times in that email. Um, your second email is a follow-up close to the original time that you proposed. So let's say you send it on a Tuesday for the following Friday. The next Wednesday, you send them a follow-up email, right? And you say, hey, will, will Friday at 2.15 work? If not, is there another time that would work for you? And you also can ping them on LinkedIn at that point um, and, and um, you know, just say, hey, just curious if you saw my email, would really love to talk to you about a role. Would Friday work for you? Um, the reason that you do the baseline of that on email is that their calendaring and scheduling is on email already. So otherwise you have to kind of like translate over from LinkedIn to email um, and it, it can make it a little bit trickier. Uh, LinkedIn is effective, but it, it just, it, it has to work as a part of the process. Um, what you're asking for is a 15 minute conversation. A lot of people ask for longer. They try to do too much in that call and they try to um, they try to make it the first in a series, but the reality is in five minutes, they know whether you're material or not for the firm, right? And so uh, so in your first five minutes with them, you, you explain to them why the firm, 
you explain a little bit about your background, you listen to them, you ask them three questions. And the final and, and fourth question is, after talking today, would you feel comfortable referring me for a position? And that's a that that's the magic wording, actually. I'll say it again, right? After talking to me today, would you feel comfortable referring me to a position? You're not actually directly asking for a referral. Um, you're asking for their comfort level. And then you either get one of two things. You get feedback or you get a referral. Um, a lot of people end the call and say, thank you, I'll keep you posted. And then nobody knows what they're supposed to do. Are you supposed to write them in a month or three months? Are you supposed to practice for case interviews? Are they supposed to refer you? So like, just get straight to the, the meat of it. And if they give you feedback and their answer is no, take the feedback and come back to them in a couple of months. Um, so that's it. That's, the, that's my recommendation. It's a very linear process. The reason you do it with two people at two firms at the same time is that if you have one opportunity to interview at one firm, you can begin to leverage that for other firms. Um, but it, it's also, you're not trying to do 50 firms at the same time, right? Just a, it's a bite-sized chunk, two people, two firms, two emails. That's it. So uh, let's say, uh, let's say you've referred someone uh, for, for your company and then you give, yeah. uh, uh, let's say he or she did not get in, they just got rejected at the interview process. So would you expect yep. that person to still keep in touch with you uh, since you're already in a dog on LinkedIn, you're already a connection on LinkedIn? Um, absolutely. But I don't know that I would refer them again. At that point, the referral doesn't hold more weight because the recruiters are going to know how you did in the first interview. Like if you bombed it, right? Um, you, you then, then like my referral isn't going to help you get back in. They're going to remember that for a while. If you pass the first round, they're actually probably going to invite you to come back in, you know, six to 12 to 24 months. And so you already have an in. And so at that point, the relationship doesn't actually, again, have any weight. Like once you've gotten an interview, um, that, that relationship is just a relationship to kind of connect with or chat with, to give updates to, to remain thankful for, but there's nothing really more for them to do inside the firm because recruiting takes over for better or for worse. So, so excluding these, uh, where we ask for referrals, how do you, like, how do you ensure that, how do I, so that I get callbacks? Like, let's say, like excluding these people who have asked for referrals. Uh-huh. Well, right now you can't assure it. Yeah. That's why you have to do the referrals. <laughs> um, like, like you can drop your resume. I mean, there are people who every single season drop their resume and get an interview without a referral. It's just that if in a normal year, 20% of people have referrals, when they cut their hiring by half, all of a sudden 40% of people, the same number of people have referrals. Maybe it's 50% or 60%. It just like your opportunity is shrinking all the time in a contracting work environment when you don't have a referral. And so um, it's, it's not that it's not possible. It's just that it's always going to be best practice. Everything else is just your resume. Without a referral, it's just your resume. There's no other way to stand out. Um, and so, but you have to have a great resume either way, because if you, if you show up with an odd resume and you ask somebody for a referral, they're going to tell you, go fix your resume. Well, that's a little silly. They could have just given you a referral if you had a great resume in the first place, right? So that's why I mentioned the resume first and then the networking. Okay. Yeah, that, that makes sense. So the, can you share uh, like one of one or two words of wisdom that uh, that will make people realize that why consulting is the right fit for them, mm -hmm. like the self discovery process? 
So I think everybody should do a consulting project. And I mentioned strategy sprint. That's an example that you can actually do on your own. We obviously provide you with the project and the guidance and the the training and and everything related to being able to do it. But if you don't want to do our strategy sprint process, do a strategy sprint on your own with a company. Uh, Startups are a great material for this because they're often cash strapped and um, sometimes strategy strapped too. And so ask them to size the market, to do a competitive analysis, um, use the free frameworks that are available on Management Consulted and do a one-week project for somebody. And you're going to know really quickly whether this is the favorite thing that you've ever done or the absolute worst experience, right? Um, Consulting is very open-ended. There's no right answers. It's not like accounting where everything has to fit and balance and, and match up. Um, and so some people get into it and they think, this feels like I'm just making it up. Well, you, you kind of are. I mean, you're developing a strategy into the future, right? Like there is no roadmap. You can look at the past, but but the future might be different and you're having to model that and, and analyze it. Um, and the most important piece of any of those projects will be some kind of analytical work. Um, a lot of people like the idea of consulting. They even enjoy the casing process. Um, they might enjoy sitting around and drawing out beautiful things on a you know whiteboard or a piece of paper. But like when the rubber beats the road, you're going to be in Excel like 90 hours a week, right? And so, so some people like really over-index on the talking and the thinking. But like if you don't do a project like that, where you have to in a short amount of time, PS, um, analyze data for an answer then again, you're not going to get the full experience. So, um, so, so, you know, again, just model off of what we do for strategy sprint. If you don't want to come and do it, if you want the guidance and the training and the pushing and the review of your financial models and the, you know, the, the focus of all of that stuff, that's what we provide for you um, there. But if not, go do it on your own. If you're a consultant for a week and you don't like it, you're not going to like being a consultant for a year. Yeah, that's true. That's true, actually. <laughs> So what, what are the one or two like underrated uh, trades of high-performing consultants that you would recommend someone like me develop? Yeah, I think the first one is answering a question when you don't know all of the information. And the, the case interview tests for this, and it, you really notice that there are people who want to overcomplicate everything. And, and it's, it often comes from, you know, I hate to say it, engineers or analytical minds, um, because, because you can't engineer a bridge 80% and hope that it's going to work out, right? You know, you, you actually don't want your engineers to be like consultants. <laughs> um, but, but consultants need rapid decision making with a majority of information. It's a very different skill set. So a, um, a lot of people battle to move between point A and point B. And in fact, the only people that I worked with that I saw get managed out of Bain that kind of couldn't make the transition up levels were people who couldn't let go of the details on the edges, right? So it's an underrated trait, but it's the ability to make decisions faster than other people. And and what's interesting is that I don't think I even knew this when I was at Bain. I figured it out afterwards. Um, our, our company was working with Google and we were they were saying, hey, we're wanting more talent from McKinsey, Bain and BCG. We'd love to have you help us find them. And I just said, I asked them, I said, I, I, this might seem obvious, but I actually would want to know your answer. Why do you want McKinsey, Bain and BCG people? And, and they said, oh, it's because they're faster decision makers. It wasn't because they had expertise. It wasn't because they'd done multiple projects. It was because 
the firms have a tighter timeline for a higher level of decision-making and, and you have to make those decisions faster. So that's only one trait, but it's probably to me, the most important one. It's underrated. It's underspoken about, um, but the ability to make decisions with limited information is really powerful. That's, that's actually nice advice. I mean, even I didn't know up until now that that is one of the traits that people look for, for consulting. And you, you see it inside the case interview, right? There's people who want to ask five more questions and people who will take limited information and come up with an insight. The person that comes up with the insight off the limited information is the one that you're looking for. Okay. Uh, Jane, these are the only questions I've had. And thank you. Thank you so much for guiding me through this process. Absolutely. I'm so excited that you're interested in consulting. I just want to encourage you, even in a year when it, things seem a little bit shaky, it can be just the perfect time to get in. But, you know, count count yourself in it for the long haul. We've seen yeah. people in two weeks get into consulting. We've seen people take two years um, and um, just make sure that you're trying a couple of things at the same time. And, and, and finally, we're here to help. So thank you for having me on the podcast today, taking over the mic and bossing me around. It was really fun <laughs> to talk to you. Thank you. I think this is the first time I bossed someone around who is a CEO of a company. <laughs> <laughs> well, it won't be the last if you become a consultant. Yeah. So. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it's great to talk to you. Thanks again for nice your time. Nice to talk to you too. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Strategy Simplified. If you loved it, we would be super honored if you went to your favorite podcast platform and left us a review and or a rating. It would be super helpful for other people to access and find the free resources that we work so hard to produce on this podcast. Speaking of free resources, we have great connections inside the show notes so that you can get information you need about resumes and cover letters, breaking into consulting, the state of the consulting industry, and also if you're interested in registering for Strategy Sprint. We would be so excited if you use those free resources and feel free to share them with others. Thanks again for listening.